Would you turn with me to Romans, the 14th chapter? I cannot even begin to tell you how important this place is in Scripture. Paul, I can only imagine what it must have been for him as he was getting this information inspired by God, writing these things down, and then when he further taught these things, I can only imagine what he must have felt like. Before I forget, I wrote myself a little note. Right now my watch says it is 6.35. Is that right? No, it's, it, it's 5, but I've already set mine ahead. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. Don't forget, if you have anywhere to go tomorrow morning, set your clocks uh, Otherwise, you'll probably be, I don't know how it figures that all out, but you'll probably be late, but I'm done. I don't have to tell anybody in the morning. I'm just kind of going to be fun to be here tomorrow at the 9 o'clock service and watch people walk in around 10 or something. (laughs) I don't know why. I love love things like that. Anyways, uh, this place in Scripture, oh my gosh, can you even imagine, Paul? Can you even imagine as he's penning these words what he must be thinking? The privilege that God has given to him to be able to write down these things that have been inspired by God to give to the world. Read with me, please. Let me get my glasses. Read with me, please, in Romans chapter 14, verses 5 through 9. Paul is going to use the idea of food versus a, a particular celebration of a day to show us that that is not necessary. What he's going to show us is how much, how much we need to love the Lord our God. And the emphasis is Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, watch these words. Watch as Paul was penning these. He says in verse 5, One man regards one day above another, Another regards every day alike. Let each person be fully convicted in their own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. And he who eats does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat. He gives thanks to God. Verse 7. For not one of us lives for himself. Not one of us dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Verse 9. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. It's one of the most dynamic places in the Word of God. You and I have the privilege of reading words that, that, that God Almighty gave to Paul to give to us so that we might understand the magnitude of this one who has come and split heavens in two and come to reign within our heart of hearts. If in fact you've accepted Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, But like it or not, and believe it or not, one day every single person is going to be accountable to Jesus Christ. Every single one. As he says in verse 9, To this end Christ died. He's living again. 
that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. I want to pray with you for a moment, and then I want to just jump into this place in Scripture. And I pray that, pray with me, that God will enable us to really hear what Paul has penned in these few verses that are amazing to your life and my life. They're just amazing verses. Dear Father, would you please open up our eyes, our hearts, our minds, so that we might behold wonderful things that come from your law. And would you move me aside, Father, so that I do not interfere at all with this message. It's, it's far too powerful. It's far too important. So, Lord, I just want to ask that you will bless us. Allow us to hear from your, your voice. And may we be thankful, Father, that we do. And now we ask you and give you thanks in the most precious name that we know of, Father, and that is of your Son, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. By the way, if you've ever wondered whether you should be celebrating church on a Saturday night, this uh, ought to put it all to rest. There is absolutely no difference with the Lord. I remember when I first started ministry with the athletes, and uh, we, we started having church in the locker rooms because the guys couldn't get to, the, to their churches on the weekend. They were playing ball. and they were, Often they just couldn't get to church. And one of the problems was that they thought that it wasn't, it wasn't okay for them to have church first outside of a, a church building. Then they started wondering about, well, because we were having services on Saturday night, they were wondering, oh, can we do this? Is this okay? And I walked that process with these guys to where they fell in love with having church anywhere and everywhere and celebrating the Lord Jesus Christ, any time that they could. Let me say to you about what we just read. If there's ever a place in the Word of God that every person on the face of this good earth ought to try to grasp, ought to try to understand, and then ought to try to cling to, it is here in Romans chapter 14, verses 7 and 8. Let me reread them to you. For not one of us lives for ourselves. Not one of us dies for ourselves. For if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Every person on the face of this good earth, yeah, even those that are atheists and make fun of those of us and mock those who who worship God, that one day are going to have to stand before this God whom they mock. Paul says, let me read it to you. You don't need to turn there. It's in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9, 10, and 11. If you want to get there real quickly, please do. It says in verse 9 of Philippians 2, For this reason God highly exalted His Son, Jesus Christ, and bestowed upon Him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow. Those who are in heaven, those who are on the earth, and those who are under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every day, or I should say someday, every person will confess that wonderful thing that you and I 
have the privilege of proclaiming now within our lives, within how we live, how we react, how we handle our situations that we come in in contact with, uh, how we allow the Lord Jesus Christ to be our Lord of Lords. Now, we are talking about, Paul is, about strength and weakness. Remember last week, remember chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. Accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions, not upon sin, remember we taught that, but upon their opinions, upon their traditions, upon what they believe as their religious beliefs. One man has faith, it says in verse 2, that he may, he may eat everything, but, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. And he's talking about being liberated, being free in Christ, and those who are, are set, they're, they're, they, they have a, a, a certain things that they will, will not do. Paul's not talking about sin here. He's talking about strength, freedom in Christ, weakness, set, can't and won't do anything but whatever. And so, he is saying the one who is either strong or weak in faith is a sincere believer in Je- who is a sincere believer in Jesus Christ should be guided by the same motive. Your motive, whether you be weak in faith or whether you be strong in faith, ought to be you ought to try to please Jesus Christ with every second that you draw breath. So what Paul is teaching us here is that neither person, neither weak nor strong, are any more or any less spiritual than the other. So being strong is not synonymous with being spiritual, nor is being weak synonymous with being carnal. They're both the same before God, just one has, as we're going to learn in a little bit, has got knowledge and now has allowed that knowledge to take hold within their lives and become strong in their faith. In other words, liberated, freed in Christ to do whatever they want. Where others stay kind of confined, afraid to do this or that, afraid for what it might mean, and not understanding Scripture. See, the problem with the church in Rome, let, let's talk about that just for an instant. It's the same problem that many churches have in the United States of America today. And that is this, that some believers of both persuasions, whether they be strong or whether they be weak, thought themselves to be more spiritual than the other, which caused a problem within the church. Some of them couldn't understand in their freedom why everybody else wasn't free in Christ. And some, in their, in their system of what they did and, and the standards that they held and, and confined themselves, they couldn't understand those who were free. It just was hard. And so Paul is trying to rid believers of those false and divisive and destructive notions which eat away at the unity within the body of Christ. And he's using the example of a day or foods to teach the differences between being strong, liberated, or being weak. Not being able to do all the things that others do in their faith. As it says in verses 5 and 6, one person 
regards one day above another, while another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in their own mind. That's really important. Fully convinced in their own mind. The one who observes the day, or doesn't, observes it for the Lord. Just as the one who eats does so for the Lord, gives thanks to God. And he who does not eat for the Lord, he does not eat, it says in verse 6. And both of them are to give thanks to the Lord. You see, Paul's address to strong as well as weak believers and his example are the celebration of certain days like the Sabbath or certain foods and allows each person's conscience to be their guide. Verse 5 says, Fully convinced in their own mind. For the converted Jew, for instance, who came now into the church of Christianity, the Sabbath referred to a day of rest, a day of worship for them. Whereas for some of the Gentile believers who came from a very different point of view in their quote-unquote religious beliefs, respected other days above the Sabbath. And the same was true with them for eating certain foods. They had no problem with it. And some remained attached to their old special days and their old special foods. And others wanted to separate themselves as far as possible from celebrating any one day above another or any food above another. They wanted to separate themselves from their former religious beliefs. I want that for you, to be honest with you. I want you to be strong in your faith. But I will never force it on you. Ever, never. Listen to what Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, and we can compare it with Galatians chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Paul wrote both of this. Paul wrote in Colossians 2, 16 and 17, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. He says in verse 17, These things are a mere shadow of of what is to come, which, but the substance belongs to Christ. Paul was gently trying to make each of them understand, Jew as well as Gentile, the freedom that they now have in Christ. I want to pass that to you. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, he was a little more direct, a little more harsh. He says in Galatians 4, 9, But now that you have come to know God, or rather, you have come to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary things which you desire to be enslaved to all over again? In other words, why are you turning back to those old religious traditions? You're freed from that. Verse 10 says, You observe days, months, seasons, years, in other words, you go back to your old religious beliefs, your old religious traditions. You're rid, you can rid yourself of them. You need not be under that burden any longer. You belong to these things, he says, are just a mere shadow of what is about to come into your lives. So back to 
Romans 14, verse 5, the last part of it, he says, Therefore, let each person be fully convinced in their own mind. In, in this context, verse 5, the word mind, it includes our hearts, our conscience, our, our deepest convictions, our motives. Why do we do what we do? You see, for before God, it's not a matter of observing a certain time, day, or food, or not observing a certain time, day, or food. It's your intent. It always boils down, folks, to our intent. That's why we need to know Scripture. You need to know why you do something or why you don't do something so that you have the freedom to understand what you do or do not do before the Lord. See, it matters not what you do if it is not commanded or forbidden within the Word of God. And so if it's not commanded nor forbidden in the Word of God, it is absolutely wrong to make someone go against their conscience or their mind because guilt feels like sin. Our conscience represents what we actually believe to be right and not do it. To not do something that we believe we ought to do produces guilt. Listen to what James says. This verse kills me. I, I, James 4.17 says, Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, to that person it is sin. I don't like that verse. Because there's certain things I... I know I shouldn't do. They're not necessarily sin. And, and, and to do anything of it is, is a, just gives me guilt beyond your wildest dreams. I don't like carrying guilt. So I try to take these things out of my life. And in, in a essence, if they aren't sin issues, I become weaker because of that. Because I'm not free. Paul is teaching each sincere believer whether they be weak or strong here, that what they do that is not sin is done or not done for one reason. He says it twice. He says it in verse 6. Note, he who observes the day observes it for the Lord. The one who eats does so for the Lord. Why? So that he gives thanks to God. He who eats not, for the Lord he does not eat to give thanks to God. That's the issue. Paul insists that everything you and I do or choose not to do is to be done giving thanks to the Lord God. Why? Why? In a moment we're going to get to the whole issue of be careful when you try to get someone else to do what you think is right, or not to do what you think is wrong. Be careful when you push someone towards that path. Now, why do we give thanks to God? Verses 7 and 8, what we started this whole thing off in. Not one of us lives for ourselves. Not one of us dies for ourselves. I was I thought about this verse when I was studying this week. Let me not forget where I am. I'm in verse 8. When I went up to Seattle, and I know I'm talking about Hutch maybe a little bit too much. 
But I was so impressed by how his family said he went to be with the Lord. His last moments on this earth were full of joy for his family, blessings upon his family, and then he just, his wife said he just kind of went to sleep and went to be with the Lord. I thought, man, that's the way I'd love to be able to pass on. But whether we live or whether you and I, or not whether, but when we die, we do not die for ourselves. Verse 8, for if we live, you and I are to live for the Lord. And when we die, we are to die for the Lord. Therefore, Paul wrote, whether you and I live or whether you and I die, we are the Lord's. You've got to love verse 8. You've got to love verse 8. Verse 8 is the very essence of what you and I are as believers. Whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord. We belong to Him. Paul is telling us, Paul is telling us that it is not our business in this place to impose our personal convictions on any other person because. In doing so, we could be tempting them to go against their own conscience. Therefore, we could be tempting them to guilt, which feels like sin in their lives. Therefore, Paul is giving us here, if you catch it at all, in these five verses, a two-fold command. Number one, he is saying, don't compromise your own conscience or your own mind in order to conform to the conscience of another person. Don't let them move you if you don't feel like you should be moved. On the other hand, which I think is far more important, do not attempt to lead another believer to compromise his or hers conscience to conform to yours. It could cause guilt. It could cause a great pain in that person's heart. You see, the greater responsibility is always on the one who is liberated. The one who is free. That's Paul. You talk about liberated. He said, I can do all things. There's nothing I can't do. The one who understands is the one who has freedom. Which led Paul... Listen, I, I do want you to turn here. Turn to 1 Corinthians. It's, it's to the right. Chapter 8. It's just a few pages to the right. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. I do want you to look at this. I want you to see how Paul sternly warns the stronger believers to be careful how they behave in front of other believers. Other people, for that matter. Goodness gracious, you or I do not want to ever make anyone stumble. Someone who's not a believer, we don't want them to think that they have the... Listen to what Paul says. Listen. He says, verse 9 of 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Take care. Take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. You see it? Paul is about to give us... This is a great insight on Paul. He is about to give you and me his standard of faith. We're going to be able to see what does Paul believe? How does he handle himself? You see, Paul was strong. 
But he was liberated. He could do anything he wanted. Nothing troubled Paul. He wants to see if you and I can live up to his standard. He says in verse 10, watch this closely. If someone sees you, you who have knowledge, in other words, you being liberated, you being the stronger believer, having knowledge, you're going to see that Paul is going to hold you to a higher standard of your faith. So, someone sees you, the weaker person, the one who is not as liberated as you are, sees you. Dining, Paul uses this as an example, in an idol's temple, for instance. Will not the one who is weaker, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols. In other words, he doesn't want to do that. It is not a part of him. But he sees you doing it. He thinks, I can do that. He goes and does it. And all of a sudden, he feels this guilt just coming over him. Paul says, you don't want that to happen to anyone. So you, being liberated, being stronger in faith, and you go out and you eat somewhere where it might trouble this person, he sees you, he is strengthened by what you do, he thinks he can do it as well. Verse 11, through your knowledge, in other words, your strength of faith, he who is weak is, wow, wow, Paul, you say he is ruined. In other words, he might stumble. He might feel the guilt of what, You did because you're liberated. He who is weak is ruined. The brother for whose sake Jesus Christ died. Died for him. And you're causing him to stumble by your reactions or what you do. Verse 12. So, by sinning against the brethren, Paul goes to the place of saying it is sinning against someone who is weaker. And you wound their conscience when it is weak. You sin against Christ. In other words, you who are called as the stronger in the faith. In other words, liberated. You are to protect others. And Paul sees us not protecting others as sin. Which leads him to say, In verse 13, Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. That's a great standard, is it not? That is a great standard. Trying to think of things that that I've just taken out of my life. Maybe you can think better than I can. Things that you just won't do because you don't want to harm another person. If you and I can get to the point where we think more highly of another person than we do our own selves, we've really really done well in our faith. I know I I tucked that in so it wouldn't fly up from the fan. Um... That's the place that we've got to get. 
We've got to get to the place where we want to care for everyone that we come in contact with so as not to cause anyone to stumble in their faith. When Paul stood before the Sanhedrin, when he was on trial, he declared in Acts chapter 23, verse 1, that I have lived my life, he said, with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. In other words, I've known of nothing that I've done to make another person stumble. That's an amazing statement. Paul was not only confessing that he was guiltless of compromising his own conscience, but he also was guiltless in having caused anyone else to compromise their conscience. You see, Christian, verses 7 and 8, neither the strong person nor the weak person lives or dies for themselves. Now, this is the crux of what Paul is trying to teach. What I just left you with up to this point is be careful. Be careful how you react around your children, how you deal with your friends, how people see you at work. You, you do not know how many people are judging you. If you've confessed that you are a believer in Jesus Christ, I want you to know that people are watching you. They're watching you. And they're waiting for you to stumble. They want to see you fall. Paul says, as far as I know, I've caused nobody to stumble. I'm trying to think. My mind's racing. I can't think of an example, so I'll leave this alone. Neither of us, now we're going to get to the very lordship of what Paul was trying to teach, the lordship of Jesus Christ. In verses 7 and 8, neither the strong nor the weak lives or dies for themselves, because both of them, strong as well as weak, both live and die for the Lord. And let me tell you, if you're here investigating Christianity, you've not come to a place that's going to sugarcoat it and say, you're okay, don't worry. No, no, no. You need to worry. You're not okay. You need to come to Christ. It's very, very important that you understand the truth of what the Bible teaches, the truth of what God says. Not some religious mumbo-jumbo, but the truth of what God says. And a non-believer, you need to know that that knife that cuts into us as believers, cuts the other way into you who are a non-believer. And like it or not, your life is lived either for or against the Lord. Verse 7 tells you clearly, none of us, not a single one of us, lives or dies for ourselves. We are accountable. And I, 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 I'm, I'm tired of, of pastors who, who stand up and say, don't worry, you're all right. No, no. We are accountable. We need to understand what the Bible teaches. We need to understand what we can and cannot do. We need to understand how free we are in Christ. But with our freedom comes responsibilities. I just thought of one. I remember, I remember when, when I first, forgive me for this, but when I first joined the Dodgers, it was really a, an amazing meeting. 
sat in the meeting, and, and, and one of the leaders on the team by far was Drysdale, Don Drysdale. Most of you don't remember that name. He's, you're too young. But he was really good. And he, there was a couple of rookies that got on, on the, we got on the big club, and there was a couple of guys I didn't. I, I just didn't, I wasn't on, that I was thinking I'm better or anything. I just didn't do this. But a couple of guys got, and we were in, let's say we were in Cincinnati. I don't know, it's been so long ago, I don't remember. But we were in one of the other cities, and they saw one of their friends on the other team. And they ran out in the field, and they said hi to him, and they shook hands and stuff like this. And we had a team meeting. And Dron Drysdale went to that guy, and you ever go out in that field, and you say hello to a guy on the opposing team, I'm going to knock you on your bottom. He says, if you want to have fun with them, take them out after the game. Take them out for dinner. But don't have fun of them uh, with him on my time. Whoa! I thought to myself, this guy's serious. <laughs> He's serious about it. And I, I, my, I guess my point is, is, that, is that we are accountable. You and I are accountable before the Lord. There's, there's things that we can and cannot do. There's things that we can say and not say. There's a... There is a family here that we need to care and love for one another. Whether we live, verse 8, or whether we die, we are the Lord's. You see, you and I, and this is what I love of this message, we wholly belong to Jesus Christ. Why? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 tells me, do you not know, Paul writes, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have for God, from God? Watch now. And that you are not your own, John Werhas. No. Verse 20, watch now. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. First Corinthians chapter 7, verse 23 says basically the same thing. But Paul writes, you were bought with a price. Don't become a slave of men. In other words, don't become slave to worldly traditions or don't act like the world. Don't become their slave. You're free. You're free in Christ. You see, you and I, if you've come to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we all belong to Him in the fullest possible sense. And to that end, belonging to Jesus Christ, His death and His resurrection has been declared by Paul in verse 9 that Christ might be Lord both of the living as well as of the dead. Like I said at the beginning of this message, like it or not, a believer being a believer or not, every person is accountable to Jesus Christ. You are, whether you're a believer or a non-believer. And our Lord truly holds in His hand your eternal destiny. And boy, it can't be in better hands than His. Because He says He will never ever lose a one of us and he will personally deliver us to heaven if we belong to him therefore to deny 
the Lordship. He is your Savior. But He is more than your Savior. He is your Lord. You must understand that. To deny the Lordship of Jesus Christ over your life is to weaken the full work, the full power, the full purpose of His life, His crucifixion, His death, and His resurrection. You see, Jesus Christ died not only to save you and me, but He died to own you and me. You don't hear that very often. He died not only to set you and me free from sin, but He died so that when we come to trust in Him, we enslave ourselves to Him. You need to hear it. You need to live it. Don't forget what we read in Romans chapter 6, verses 16 and 17. Let's read, no, 17 and 18. Chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. Look at it again. Thanks be to God, Paul wrote, that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from your heart to that form of teaching which you were committed, and having been freed from sin, you've now become slaves of righteousness. In other words, slaves of Jesus Christ. Note the benefit you and I get from verse 22. Take a look at it. Romans chapter 6, verse 22. But now, you and I, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, we derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification that is being set apart, and the outcome is eternal life. In other words, heaven, unending joy. When Jesus Christ returns, when Jesus Christ returns, he will then be universally, let's close with this. He will then be universally acknowledged as the sovereign Lord, at which time Paul tells us, we've already read it once, Philippians chapter 2, verse 11. Every tongue at that time is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But more than that, when he returns the second time, Revelation chapter 19, verse 16, much more strongly says of Jesus Christ, when He returns from the heavens Himself with the armies behind Him, on His robe and on His thigh. I'm telling you, I get a tear in my eyes every time I read this. On His robe and on His thigh, He has a name written. You know what it is? Lord of lords and King of kings. That's who you and I belong to. That's who we belong to. Let's live like it. Your Father is the Lord of lords and King of kings. If you do not know this one, you better be afraid. No, no. There is a heaven and there is a hell. And you might not hear it at other churches. Go where they don't have you open the Bible. But here you're going to hear. To die apart from Jesus Christ is to be condemned to hell. You better be fearful. Come to Christ. The Lord of lords. King of kings. Father, we adore you and we give you thanks for who you are. You are magnificent. You are the one whom we have trusted in for our eternal destiny. Thank you, Father.
for your kindness. Thank you for your sternness. This is not dress rehearsal, what we are doing right now. This is the real thing. We are living life right now. There's no second chance. What we do with the rest of this day and tomorrow and every tomorrow that we have hereafter, Father, is important. It's important to ourselves. It's important to those around us. May we live godly lives, I pray, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen.